This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Hey, canola farmers, do you want to save on seed? You can save up to $50 a bag on DeKalb Canola with the DeKalb Instant Discount and DeKalb Canola Summer Sizzler programs. The booking deadline for the DeKalb Canola Summer Sizzler program is October 5th, so talk to your retailer today. Full program details are available at decalbrewards.ca. Always read and follow seed stewardship requirements and pesticide label directions. Hi, my name is Alex Bernard, editor for Top Crop Manager East, and I'm speaking today with Tracy Bowdy, field crop entomologist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, or OMAFRA. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Today we are talking about corn rootworm and BT hybrids. Could you tell us a little bit or explain a little bit about how BT corn hybrids work and how they control or manage corn rootworm? So for corn rootworm BT hybrids, they contain BT proteins that are essentially toxic to the insect. So when they ingest it, it breaks down their gut content and they die. So each of the different traits, no matter what you purchase in Ontario for BT rootworm, has a combination of two BT proteins. But the problem that we're seeing, and this has been happening in the States for a long time, it's starting to spread here in Ontario, is there is development of resistance and there's cross resistance to three of the four different proteins that are available. So regardless of what hybrid or what trait they select, the pair of proteins in those hybrids, there's at least likely one, if not two, that rootworm can easily be resistant to, even if it hasn't tried it yet, let's say, because at least one of those proteins they're already able to resist and tolerate. But we've started to see more widespread areas that have resistance developing. And again, this year, we're seeing new counties with this resistance. So it's not going away. (laughs) So is this a matter of the rootworm that has developed the resistance moving up from the states? Or is this rootworm that are currently in these fields are developing new resistance? This is now our homegrown problem, (laughs) Uh, mainly because, you know, 20 some years ago when rootworm BT hybrids came out, just shortly after corn borer BT hybrids, it enabled corn on corn production because it was, you know, the new novel way to manage rootworm, which prior to that, it was always rotation. Most growers would rotate out of corn and completely knock back the rootworm cycle. But now with livestock producers requiring corn as their feed, it really pushes to enable corn on corn on corn. And because of that, we're building up the rootworm populations. And if we're solely relying on these BT hybrids to manage rootworm, those populations build, they continue to be shared in these continuous corn acre areas, and they develop resistance pretty quickly to these, given that there's no novel BT proteins coming. And what we have is all we have. And so, yeah, they're they're now able to eat it like salad. (laughs) So... What would farmers see as symptoms of the resistance or how can they tell that resistance or actually corn rootworm is in their fields? Well, unfortunately, usually by the time you're seeing signs, you've already had a few years likely that you've had resistance building up. It just wasn't very evident. But once it is evident, you may see, you know, especially if you're used to walking a field a couple of times in August, 
you notice that year, usually it's three or more years of corn that we see this, the population levels are really high. You'll see adults buzzing around, happily enjoying hanging out there. You might see them clipping silks, or even before the ears are out, you'll see actual window painting of the leaves because they're just trying to find something to eat because they've emerged from the soil when they were larvae. But most evident is the goosenecking that the plants do. So because the larvae in the spring were clipping the roots, the plant starts to lose its stability and it starts to gooseneck or you know, bow and try and restabilize itself. Now in a windstorm, if the root clipping is heavy enough, those plants can actually lodge almost flat to the field if it's, if it's a really high, strong wind. But those are usually signs that you're deep into resistance already. That said, even if you wanted to take the time to go and dig roots, regardless of whether you see all the other signs, it, it's a good way to start seeing some of that root clipping happening. And if you're seeing you know, a substantial amount, an inch to an inch and a half gone in each node, you're really starting to see that they're enjoying the BT proteins and having no problems surviving on them. Okay. So yes, as you might imagine from an insect called corn rootworm, roots are the first place you'll see it happening. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And in a drier year, those symptoms are, it's more obvious because the plant's not distributing its nutrients to the ears. The ears might even be smaller. And again, if the adults on the top of having clipped the roots as larvae, start clipping the silks on the ears as adults, then you will start to have poor pollination and a lot less grain fill in that ear for livestock feed. So it, it isn't something to dismiss. Okay. And that segs well. What are the costs of resistance <laughs> development? Yeah. So yield is one factor, but it tends to not be what worries or concerns producers to move away from corn on corn. Their need to have corn feed is primary. They will accept some losses. But what we think is, is really happening is that they're also seeing feed quality issues. So again, as I mentioned, there's going to be probably less plant material actually developed on the plant because of the lack of good root structure, potentially the ears as well, which plays a big role in milk production in silage corn. So there's factors that they may not even be thinking about when they continue to just manage it with BT rootworm hybrids. Uh, again, just out of convenience. But over time, as that continues, they will have to start supplementing their feed, both quantity and quality, because of what they're losing from rootworm resistance. In its simplest terms, farming is all about the ability to manage your produce and how much you produce. But tracking the differences between those two things is far more complicated. That's why FCC has continuously refined the AgExpert platform to be Canada's most trusted farm management software. AgExpert simplifies the entire process of record keeping from field to finance and keeps you on top of it all no matter where you are. Get started for free at agexpert.ca. Now, what can growers do to kind of prevent additional development of resistance? The number one way to prevent this is to rotate out of corn. Even just one year, I'm not talking about livestock producers or even cash croppers who, there's some that prefer to grow corn on corn. I'm not saying they have to start developing three-year crop rotation. They just need to rotate fields out of corn for one year to reset the rootworm population. It'll, it'll be dropped 
to such a low level that they won't even need to rely on a BT rootworm hybrid for the first year corn when they go back into it. Second year may even be able to go without the rootworm protection, depending on what levels are like that first year, if they just go check once in August and see, or put sticky traps out like we've been doing the last few years. That makes it very obvious whether or not adults are, are active or not. And then that leaves the third year of corn to use the BT rootworm hybrids. So the rootworms then in those three years have only been exposed to BT proteins once. The fourth year they rotate again, reset the balance. And, and so then they're on this one in four year crop rotation out of corn to manage rootworm more sustainably and only have to rely on that high risk third year corn to use the BT rootworm hybrids. It seems like an easy enough thing to follow, but I understand. <laughs> it is, theoretically. Mm -hmm. uh, I realize the challenges that growers will have in trying to figure out how to get their fields rotated out. And that I'm not saying to do a blanket rotation for all their fields at once, but start to take the highest risk fields, especially any that were three or more years, or had signs of rootworm resistance, rotate that one out and then do a piecemeal effort in rotating each of their fields out so that eventually they get to the point where they only have one to three year corn on corn fields and then their rootworm population overall will always be much lower than they are right now with the corn on corn system. Are there any other crops that they shouldn't rotate into that would also support the corn rootworm population? Not really. There's very few other plants that rootworm can develop and sustain their population on. So it is really corn. And in particular, I'm talking the larva. The adults can feed on other things, but the larva have to have corn roots to survive. So if we rotate out, in, you can put wheat, you can put soybeans, you can put alfalfa, anything. And of course, it's got to be a crop that's there in May to July when the larvae are present feeding. So it's not like you can rotate through the winter in a cover crop and call that rotation. You really have to have something else there through the months of May, June, and July so that the rootworm larvae starve to death and their population crashes. Okay. And there are other options for livestock farmers to grow as opposed to corn. There are. I mean, there are some challenges, obviously, because corn is such a abundant crop to get um, feed from. But there are other feed alternatives that Christina Riley from Amafa, our forage and grazing specialist, has come up with. And some are utilized often in Europe instead of corn on corn. For example, something like a fall cereal and a sorghum sedan grass in the spring for a silage alternative. I realize it may be challenging for changing their equipment, etc. The other option is they swap with the neighbor that may have a good crop rotation, like corn, soybeans, wheat, and they utilize their field for a year, as long as it wasn't corn the previous year, and swap. I know there's complications to that, but that at least somewhat alleviates the needing different equipment scenario. Mm -hmm. But there are options, and I realize it seems like they are going to be headaches and such a big change. But over time, with resistance never going away, mm -hmm. they will already have challenges to supply and get enough of their corn feed if they still continue to have resistance and not make the change to rotating out to reduce that population. Yeah, and I imagine this is something that just kind of gets worse and worse the longer you let it go. Absolutely. And, and again, is um, amplified when it's a good rootworm year, when it's hot and dry and the adults do well. 
then they're very apt to just keep laying eggs and continuing on that resistance. And it's not like we can completely remove resistance out of the population. It's there now. So now it's a matter of managing it in the face of resistance being here. And so that means we cannot solely rely on BT hybrids. And even I know the new RNAi traits that are coming out, that's where everybody wants to turn to and rely solely on those now. Well, in the face of BT resistance, RNAi will fail now too in a matter of years because it is, again, always paired with a BT protein because it needs the BT protein as a dual mode of action to actually be effective. And if the population is already resistant to that BT protein that it's been partnered with, that mode of action that the RNAi is supplying will also easily be taken through to resistance quite quickly because, again, we're solely relying on one mode of action to manage this pest. So it's not like we're just going to turn to the next transgenic corn and solve this problem. It's now more of a change in practice and a cultural control, essentially, by Mm -hmm. rotating out of corn for a year to really knock back the population. Okay. Save yourself some headaches by changing things now. We've been very lucky to not have a significant windstorm in the months of August, similar to what Iowa had dealt with a few years ago, or we would see some significant issues, especially trying to harvest silage corn that's flattened. But even when we're talking high moisture corn, it's a mess to try and harvest a flattened field. Mm-hmm. Do you have any final thoughts that you really need to get out there? Well, I know that the agronomics and the crop production side of things is secondary for for livestock producers in particular, but I think they're going to need to start taking this issue very seriously because it will have an impact directly on their livestock through feed quality issues and supply. So it is to their benefit now, even if they think they're outside of the risk zones, to think about how they're managing corn on corn and change that practice so that they can still be able to produce their feed, but also use more sustainable rootworm practices to keep resistance at bay, or at least reduce their risk of having feed supply issues every year because of rootworm. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.